Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. All right, we are going to be in the uh, book of Philippians. And uh, Philippians uh, chapter number two is where we're going to find ourselves here. And if you're just joining with us, we've been talking about uh, humility and talking about unity within the body of Christ and how important it is to have unity with one another. And uh, we do that by exercising what Paul says here about having the same mind, and it's that same mind that we looked at last week that was found in Christ, how he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so we've been talking about this unity and this humility within the church and to show us what that humility was like. That's why Paul really stressed this idea here of of Christ, how Christ who is exalted left heaven and he lowered himself and he became obedient unto death. Um, And, you know, by doing this, as as we've been looking at this, uh, Paul is teaching us some real important doctrinal truths here. And, you know, doctrine is very important in the life of the church um, because without the correct doctrine, you're going to have false teaching. You're going to have false uh, uh, things that are going to come within the church. And so it's important to know what the Bible does teach uh, so that way we're not uh, swept away with uh, false teaching. So uh, Paul here is telling us this doctrinal truth about who Jesus is and what he did is what we looked at last week. And um, as, I, as I said, you know, there, there's several cults that teach uh, some things about Jesus that aren't true. They might teach that Jesus is a God or they teach that Jesus was a creation of God. Um, and uh, it's important to know what does the Bible say about who Jesus is. And uh, so to know who Jesus is is extremely important because in reality, your eternal destiny depends upon that, right? I mean, if you, if you have a false Jesus, that false Jesus cannot save. And so if you're worshiping a false Christ and you're putting your trust in a false Christ that cannot save, uh, sadly, you're going to face the wrath of God on the day of judgment. So it's important to know what Jesus we're talking about the Jesus of of scripture that's revealed to us uh, as what uh, Paul tells us here. And, you know, I I think it's sad because there's there's many people that that go on living through their life and they have this false idea of who Christ is and they're staking their eternal destiny upon that. And they just go through life as if, uh, you know, well, it's, it's okay. God may work it all out in the end. Well, I'm sorry. The scripture is very clear as uh, what it says who Jesus is. So we're going to look here. We're going to kind of continue on that thing about some doctrine here about uh, who Christ is. And, uh, but we're going to tie that all back in with uh, humility and unity and some things that we can learn about that because that's what the context is here, what he's talking about is humility and unity, but he's given us these uh, doctrinal truths. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Jesus humbled himself and now has been exalted so that everyone will bow before him. Jesus has humbled himself and now has been exalted so that everyone will bow before him. Let's take a look here at our text, what it says here. 
Philippians chapter two, beginning verse number nine, it says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So if we're gonna understand some things here about Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus' name is highly exalted above every name. Now, this is the doctrine that we're gonna be teaching here, that Jesus Christ, his name is highly exalted above every name. Notice the first word here, therefore. Therefore. When you're studying God's word and you see that word therefore, you always should find out why it is therefore, okay? And that really takes us back to uh, the previous verses, verses five through eight, and it's telling us about who Christ is. Who is he? Well, he's the one that left heaven's glories. He came down, became obedient unto death. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And we see there after his death, and his resurrection, that now, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, Jesus willingly left the glory and the splendor of heaven, and he came down here to earth, and he took upon him the form of a lowly servant. He added genuine humanity is what we discussed uh, last week. It's not the fact that Jesus was 50% God and 50% man. No, he was 100% God and he was 100% man. He veiled his deity in flesh. He didn't lose any of his deity. He was fully 100% God, but he veiled it in flesh. But notice here in verse number nine, Look what it says here. After his death and, and his resurrection, it says here, therefore God has highly exalted him to that place of supremacy. It's exactly what Jesus prayed for uh, right prior to his crucifixion in the garden. Listen to what he said in John 17, five. Jesus said this, and now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is saying, Father, I'm asking you now to glorify me with that same glory that I once had with you, even before the world existed. Take note of that phrase there. It says, highly exalted. That's a rather interesting phrase, isn't it? It's a word that only occurs here in the New Testament, and it means to super exalt or to lift up to the highest place. Jesus is lifted up to reign over all creation. And by the way, that's only a role that has been designated for God, Yahweh. God himself, he fulfills that, that he reigns over all. He is supreme over all. And Paul is saying that Christ has been exalted to that place, that he is the ruler over all. Take notice who exalted Christ here. Look at this, what it says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. You see, Jesus did not exalt himself, but the Father exalted him. Why is that so important? Because God the Father exalting him in a way he has put his stamp of approval on Jesus. When Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, that was God's stamp to say, I am satisfied with this death. The fact that Christ took upon himself 
our sin, that he bore the wrath of God for us. That was the only satisfaction that was gonna satisfy God. And so it was his stamp of approval. And by God exalting him, he's saying, I approve of this. Peter put it this way when preaching to the uh, Jewish Sanhedrin in Acts 5, 30 and 31. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You see, the exaltation of Jesus proves that he defeated Satan who could not keep Jesus in the grave. He has been highly exalted. Colossians chapter two, verses 13 through 15 says it this way. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. So it was the Father, God, who exalted Christ and gave him that stamp of approval. Also notice it was not men who exalted Jesus. You see, it was men who casted insults and abuse at him. They jeered, they spit upon him, they called him names, but it was the Father who gave Jesus the name that was above all names. What name did the Father give him? The name Lord. Look what it says here, verse number 11. And every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is supreme, it's the word there. Supreme ruler over all. It's the same word that we find in the Old Testament as Yahweh, God, Lord, over all. He is supreme over all. And he has exalted him and given him that name. It's interesting to note that when the father gave him this name, he's telling people something about who Jesus is. He's revealing who Christ is, that he is Lord. And again, there's many cults out there that teach that Jesus is not Lord. They teach that he is a God or they teach us that they, he is a creation of God. But here we see right here, that the Father has given him the name above every name, that he is Lord. In Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 33 to 36, Peter really affirmed that Jesus is Lord. Listen to what Peter says. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, put, poured forth this which you both see and hear, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse number 18, Jesus claims to have received all authority in heaven and on earth. 
In Ephesians chapter one, verses 20 through 21, Paul says that Christ was seated in the heavenlies far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that can be named, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. So any teaching, any teaching, I don't care how sincere they are, I don't care how lovely and and wonderful and, and nice they are, any teaching that diminishes or denies the full deity of Jesus Christ goes against the clear teaching of the scriptures. The Jesus who humbled himself to the death on the cross has been raised up, he's ascended into heaven, and he's placed at the right hand of God the Father in the place of supremacy of all creation. So Jesus' name is highly exalted above every name. Look at the second thing here. Jesus is highly exalted and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Don't let that phrase get away from you. Every knee will bow. I cannot overemphasize that Jesus has been highly exalted. Notice the connection here between verses nine and 10. Look at what it says here. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You see, it's that exalted name that is above every name. At his name, Paul says, There's two purposes that are revealed here. Look what he says here, that at the name, the exaltation of Jesus, one, that every knee will bow. And secondly, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. In reality, these two purposes here about bowing, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess really shows us the extent of, of who Jesus is, the extent of his authority, the extent of his his power over everything. So let's look at each one of these here a little bit more depth. And to do so, I want you to turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter number 45, because I want to show you something very interesting here. So we're talking about the Lord. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about his name that has been exalted. And notice what Isaiah 45 teaches here. And uh, let's set this chapter in its context so we can get the fullest meaning out of this passage as it's used in connection here to uh, the book of Philippians. Isaiah is talking about the uniqueness of the Lord, Yahweh, who he is, that he's totally unique. And he's contrasting it to these lifeless idols that people are worshiping. And he basically says, look, Yahweh is the only one who sustains, he creates, he redeems. He is the only one and he doesn't know of any other God that does what he does. There is no another. Now take notice here specifically in verses 22 through 25. Look what he says here. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God 
and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength to him shall come and be ashamed. All who were incensed are very angry or raged against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. And so Isaiah here is talking about, and he's saying, look, God says there is no other God besides him. He's the only one and it is him that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So every knee will bow. Take a look here again at verse number 23 in Isaiah. Look what he says, every knee shall bow. Does that sound familiar? Just like what Paul said in Philippians, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You see, this is a powerful passage that shows us that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is ruler and supreme over all. He's not a God or a creation of God. He is the Lord. See, Paul says here that every knee will bow to Jesus. Jesus is God, he is Lord. Paul says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And it's that name, Lord, the name Lord. That's the name that has been given to him, Lord. He is Lord. I want you to notice how extensive Christ's exaltation and lordship extends here because Paul adds this in his passage here in Philippians. He says here, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow where? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. That pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? I mean, there's nowhere that his name does not command authority. It's everywhere, in heaven, in earth, and even under the earth. He is Lord over absolutely every created being. Whether they be of angelic or human, Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. In heaven, we talk about the angels will, will bow willingly before the Lord. The angels are, are awesome creatures. They're creation of God and they're awesome. They're powerful. But yet they themselves bow before Christ. They bow before the Lord. We read about uh, Gabriel in the book of Daniel. And uh, when Gabriel who brought visions to Daniel uh, we see that uh, Daniel was, 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 was struck with so much fear before that angel. And the angel is, is there uh, telling Daniel what, what needs to happen and, and revealing the vision of God. And Daniel is bowing before that angel. He's struck with fear. But yet even the mighty angel Gabriel bows before the Lord. On earth, those who have been changed by his sovereign grace will bow willingly before Jesus Christ. Others, including many of the mightiest, most powerful men who have ever lived, great kings, think about wealthy tycoons, evil drug lords, they will bow before Christ. 
Because I love this passage here in Isaiah 45, because it says here, only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength to him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed or very angry or raged against him. Those that raged against the Lord, those who were angry against the Lord, they will bow before the Lord. They will bow against their wills, but they will bow. And then he talks about here about being under the earth, Satan and all his powerful demonic forces will bow before the Lord. They will bow. We read about in Job, for example, you remember how Job, it was granted for uh, Satan to be able to have power and to bring about all those uh, things in Job's life. And we think, wow, he has all this power, but yet he himself will bow before the Lord. Look at the second thing, what he says here. So not only every knee should bow, but he says every tongue will confess. Looking again here at our passage here in Isaiah and Philippians, it says that every tongue will confess. Sadly, not every knee and every tongue will gladly bow and gladly confess that Christ is Lord. There will be many that day that when faced with the judgment of Christ and the judgment of the Lord that they will bow because they never bowed before the Lord here. And they will be put to open shame. On the other hand, all of us Christians, we will rejoice together and we will gladly proclaim to the universe that Christ is Lord. In fact, when we gather together like this, you know what we're doing? We're confessing that Christ is Lord. That's what we're doing here. When we gather together to meet together, we say the Lord is Christ. It is him who we worship. And we rejoice in that. Notice what that bowing and that confession is directed to. Look what he says here in this passage. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we need to understand that to honor Jesus is to honor the Father. Because Jesus is God. In fact, in John chapter five, verses 23 through 24, Jesus had this to say, for not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son in order that all may honor the son, even as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. See, because Jesus and the Father are one, to glorify Jesus is to glorify the Father. God's glory is the aim of his eternal purpose in Christ. And so if people will not willingly give glory to God in this life, they will do so against their will throughout eternity in hell. And the Bible is very clear that it says that they will be punished in the presence of God and the angels and so it's very important to know that when we honor the Son, we honor the Father. And it's all centered around who Christ is. He has been given that name that is above every name, the Lord, the Supreme, the ruler over all. He has been exalted to that position. So that's the teaching there. That's the doctrine that Paul 
reveals to us here in scripture about who Christ is, that he's been exalted and he's been magnified and he's been given this name above every name. But how does that deal with humility and unity? Because I mean, that's the context, right? That's what we're talking about here in Philippians chapter number two. So what do we learn from this about unity and humility? Well, here it is. Number one, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ is an encouragement to humility. You see, this is Paul's primary application here in this passage here. If Jesus is the exalted Lord, that means we gotta dethrone ourselves. I mean, Jesus time and time and time again and again and again said what? He said, you need to crucify yourself. You need to take up your cross and follow me. Stop putting self upon the throne. You see, if Christ himself, he, although he was divine, did not seek selfishly anything that he might credit to his own account, but instead obeyed the father completely his entire life, so we ought to do the same. It gives us an example to follow. We are to follow our Lord in his example of laying aside his rights and taking the form of a servant. Because he humbled himself, God highly exalted him. Jesus taught in Luke chapter 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. It'd be wrong to think that Jesus was motivated to go to the cross by the thought of being exalted afterwards. He went to the cross out of love and obedience to the Father and love for you and for me. But being exalted was his reward. Because he endured the cross, because he, because he, he, he endured the shame of all of that, God now has highly exalted Christ. And so see, if we have been seeking our own interest, we need to repent and seek the interest of others. And you can begin with the relationships in your own home, your workplace, the church, family, wherever it is. But we should allow this about who the fact of who Christ is and his exaltation be a lesson to us about humility. Secondly, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ is an encouragement in the midst of trials. Jesus endured the cross. Think of everything that Christ went through on the cross. He endured it. And the Father strengthened him and gave him grace for that awful ordeal that he went through. You see, the cross, the resurrection, and the exaltation of Jesus shows that God can transform the most grotesque of human sins against us. The very fact that we as human beings have sinned against a holy God and have offended him. And the fact that Jesus took upon that sin upon himself and he's forgiven us of all, that shows us something about when we as human beings endure difficulties and circumstances at the hands of others, we too can endure those things. Thirdly, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ is an encouragement to humility. The fact that we can share Christ with others. 
You see, the fact that every knee shall bow before the Jesus as Lord, either willingly in this life or forcibly at the judgment should really compel us to warn people. Paul says, knowing of the tear of the Lord, we persuade men. And so if we know that judgment is coming, if we know that there is judgment, swift judgment that is gonna be executed upon all those who do not obey the son, that should really compel us to warn people and tell them that if they remain in their sin and they do not repent and they do not believe the gospel, that they too will suffer the punishment of the father as he will execute judgment upon this world. And so lost people really need to see the serious consequences if they continue in their rebellion. You know, it's sad to say, I, I think we've, we've really divulged into a, a thing here in our Christianity that it's, you know, we can't offend people, you know? Christ offends people. The message of the cross is offensive. And if we are gonna faithfully preach Christ, that message will bring about offense. And so it's imperative that we warn people of the wrath to come. Fourthly, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ is an encouragement to salvation. There might be somebody here, I, I don't know. I don't know your heart before the Lord, but there might be somebody here. Maybe you've been in church all your life. That was me. And you have never bowed before Christ. And this is, this is an encouragement to see this, the fact of who Christ is, that he is Lord over all. And that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. And so if you don't know the Lord, I encourage you, I plead with you to turn from your sin and trust Christ. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow today, because you know what? Tomorrow you may be faced with judgment. Today is the day of salvation. And so if the Lord is drawing you and you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but instead bow before him and receive Christ. You see, believing in Christ as your savior and Lord requires that you humble yourself because you must let go of the proud notion that you can save yourself, that you can do it all by yourself without him. But he is the Lord over all. He created everything. He says in Isaiah, I am the Lord and there is no other God besides me. And so he is the only hope of salvation that any of us have. God says this, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back to, that to me every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him and all who were angry at him shall be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Let's pray together.
If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.